Hey, if you like plots and boobies, not the book for you. Not the book for you. Yeah. <laughs> so if you need any help with your memoir services, I have started to help clients out. I do anything from full man- manuscript assessment for a flat fee. I do developmental editing for a page by page fee, and I do copy editing for another page by page fee. Uh, please find any and all my services at casejohnson.com, or you can find me on Readsy where I have an editor's account there as well. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case, tell us a little something about Lexicon and Line. Uh, Lexicon and Line it does three things. They, they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit. And thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. All right, let's get rolling. Uh, I'm R. Brand along of the Banyan Collective Arts and Adventure Podcasting since 2010. And I'm your producer for this evening's live stream extravaganza. This is Bourbon Beer and Books. It's a spinoff of the Literally Podcast featuring Case Johnston. Uh, Case, your most recent Literally Podcast featured a very good looking man and an even better writer, Bradford Filan. How'd that go? It was great. Uh, Bradford was joining us from um, the South Pacific, where he teaches high school. And uh, yeah, very good looking man, uh, movie star. <laughs> uh, for a while, I didn't, I couldn't believe that, you know, we were actually talking. I thought that he might have a film crew with him. That's very attractive. I've, if he's listening, I'm sure he's blushing because he was also a really good writer and extremely kind. Um, you act like you don't have other friends who are movie star good looking. <laughs> I do, but I'm just be used to it by now, man. Yeah. There we go, right there. What do you think? Yeah, we'll just go ahead and pull this up. There's Mr. Bradford. Yeah, so listen on uh, the Banyan Collective, Banyan Collective slash Literally to find all the Literally podcasts as well as our Bourbon Beer and Books podcasts. Um, all right, so uh, Case, you you pick the book here um, for Bourbon Beer and Books. So first of all, you know, tell us a little about what, what are we doing tonight? What are we dissecting? And then tell us about the book, A Rendezvous with Rama. Uh, yeah, so give us a short synopsis, maybe a POV it's written in, anything else that might stand out to you. Sure. Um, so I picked around Rendezvous with Rama because we had about two weeks before the cast and we needed one. Um, and... You know, I was up camping with my brother last weekend and uh, we were chatting about the Rama series because we had both read it about 20 years ago. And I remembered really enjoying it. And I, I really liked uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I read before Rendezvous with Rama. And he said, well, yeah, but Rendezvous with Rama was really boring. Uh, but Rama 2 was amazing. And I realized after that that I was thinking about Rama 2 when I picked the book. But uh uh, we didn't have any bites on doing Rama 2 for the next book. But um, <laughs> uh, but you have to get through Rama 1 to get to Rama 2. But, yeah, I liked it. I read it uh, 20 years ago, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed – and I enjoyed it this time, too. I I personally, just from a larger standpoint, um, or of a summarily for this book, is it's basically like if you think about the object that flew in near the near the – near the earth 
for Star Trek Four, the one with the whales. Everybody knows the one with the whales. So it's basically that object. They ripped. I mean that that story came. That cylindrical um, ship basically came directly from Rama. Or you know, I don't know. Rama was taken from something else. But if you think about that ship from Star Trek Four, that's the ship that came uh, close to the Earth for Rama as well. And they sent some, they, you know, the different planetary kind of coalition sends up um, some astronauts, astronauts to jump in and check it out. And that's the crux of the book. It really, really is. Wasn't there I, a know, recent comet that was uh, cylindrical like that as well that just came by, like the Doomsday Comet or something? You guys remember that? Maybe that was Rama. It was. I think it was Rama. We just weren't prepared. Not enough people read the book. Um, but you know, I, 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 overall, I liked it. And I liked it because, like my wife says, she makes fun of me because when she's not around, I watch really slow, dull movies. And uh, I like the slow science of it all, where there's, you know, there's every moment, there are no gaps in science theory, at least. And I was actually reading something the other day about it really quickly, and I'm going off a little bit, but uh, that Arthur C. Clarke was able to predict this kind of machines that would be part biological and part uh, mechanical, you know, years and years before that could ever be a possibility because that's the only, that's the only way that a machine. No, man, don't, don't give him too much credit. He also predicted space chimps running the ship and cooking food for everybody. And that didn't happen. Wait, wait, wait. We haven't even introduced ourselves. You've written this huge outline. Let's do the thing. All right, all right. Do the thing. Lee, lead us off. And Kate, Lee, while you're doing that case, you're uh, you're jumping around on your internet. I don't know if you can get a better connection there, or if you have any better options. Um, but while they're introducing themselves, that's if you can get a better internet connection. Okay, let me try it. I'll try it on my computer while you guys are talking. Sounds and, good. And I'm having the local Uena summer ale because it's summer. Nice summer, summer. Nice. It is summer. Uh, so I'm Lee Camacho Rooks. Uh, I'm coming at you from Central Florida, this little town called Claremont. That's hilly, and a bunch of old people live here, and it's kind of awesome. And uh, I ordered beer uh, for the podcast today from um, Cigar City Brewing, and it's called Florida Man. And there was a glitch, and I won't get it till tomorrow. So I'm having an Aperol Spritzer. And that's who I am, and that's what I'm drinking. Perfect. Sean. All right. I'm Sean Davis, and I'm way up here in McKenzie Bridge, uh, Oregon. It's in the middle of the state, up in the mountains, Three Sisters. Um, if you ever have a chance to come visit, please do look me up. Just go to the general store and say, hey, can I get Sean's phone number? And give it to you. <laughs> Pretty rural up here. Um, I am drinking this bourbon. Oops. Legend. It's a it's a it's a hybrid bourbon between like a Kentucky distiller and a Japanese uh, mixology or a, a blender, and uh, it it has a kick to it. I'll tell you, uh, it's you know I've had some smooth bourbons, and that's this is not a smooth bourbon, but it's still really good, and I, and I like it. The proof? It's forty percent alcohol, ninety four proof, but uh, yeah, it's got a kick to it. And then the beer I'm drinking is Ale Song. It's a brewery in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, this is their Senior Rhino. These are like really good beers. Um, this Senior Rhino, uh, my buddy Tim Hooten is the guy who introduced me to these guys. And they're just amazing. 
This is their Imperial Stout. It's aged in bourbon and tequila barrels with cinema co cinnamon, cocoa, vanilla, and ancho chile. And uh, as far as Rama goes, I did not enjoy. I mean, I, I always no, we're, we aren't to the five word. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're off script. You're off script. So let me. I'm just the only look. one who read the script, man. <laughs> All right. So I I debuted this on our mid month. Um, whatever check in live but uh lee you haven't seen this case i don't think you've seen this yet either but this is the the whiskey oh yeah i've been wanting to try it is it see i'm worried it's terrible because it's novelty is it good no it's decent i mean i wouldn't it's fine it's made <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fine it's an irish yeah, whiskey so, i love yeah. irish whiskey so yeah. maybe i'd like it yeah and then the chaser uh, of course is the stand standby here um the sierra nevada pale so there we go. We're there. Uh, Case, I don't know if he's coming along or what's this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we lost him. He just turned us off and he's switching maybe. Let's try this. There we go. Hey. Hey, there you go. Is that a better connection? Can hey, how do you like this that? angle? Yeah, there that's, you better. Go. that's yeah. better. Yeah, I like that. All right. That what are you drinking? Or are you drinking? Because you hurt your back and... Maybe you're drinking a lot. Oh, man. I, I'm having a beer, but yeah, I, I wrecked my back today. And I went to a therapist and she like massaged my guts. And I never, I haven't, I have yet to recover. I'm pretty, I got, she beat me up bad. Like literally, she was in my guts, like in the front, underneath. <laughs> What an image! What an image! That's all we did right there. Under, getting really in there. Oh yeah, that was good. You froze. You froze in the wrong spot, Case. It was fantastic. Oh, that was great. Like this. That's awesome. Okay, let's do. Let's jump into. Is it the five word review? Five word review. That's what Sean asked us to do. Yeah. I'll start. Yeah. All right. Leave okay. So I'm cheating, and it's a six-word and an apostrophe word review. So way better than I thought. Pretty funny. That's my oh. five-word, six-word <laughs> review. Way better than. Way better than. You could get away with funny. that from Florida. That's how they talk. I. That's how I talk. <laughs> Sean, what's your five word? Oh, no, I had to go with, like, Lee, I have six words. Uh, Space Jesus, anti-gravity boobs, sans aliens. Wow. Yeah. So you would think that would make somebody want to read the book. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like, he introduces Space Jesus. I think that was great. I mean, he, he, he throws in all of these little trivial things that could be its own book, but he just blows right by it, like, the Endeavor is flown by a bunch of uh, like hybrid space chimps. See, you know what though? I I like that. I think that his world building is is really sharp. I think that it's quick, and we get a big picture of a much bigger world than we've got a chance. I'm going to argue about that with you this whole podcast. I actually like that. All right, sorry, Case. I cut you off. What was your five word review? Oh. Um, I thought it was Rama too. 
Hey, you know, you said that twice, though, but Rama 2 didn't win every single award you can win if you write a science fiction book. I mean, this one, the Hugo, the Nebula, like every the international awards. Why do you think this one won all those awards? And, uh, and, and by the way, Rama 2 wasn't written by Clark. That was written by someone else, right? And he, he wrote all of them after Rama. And Clark just said, all right, yeah, go for it. Yeah, Is that true? Co-authored that yeah. One. yeah. Um, Gentry Lee is a big, he's a big yeah. science fiction writer and he authored it, but I'm with Lee. I like the world building and maybe it's this, and to me, it, it's an unraveling of a world. And maybe it's because of the way that what I write as a writer is that I could never do that. I could mm. not unravel a full spaceship with its own ecosystem and monkeys flying the ships and, um, different worlds. Obviously, and I think maybe that's where I enjoy it. I mean, Space Jesus is just like a reconception, a you know, an evolution of 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 some Mormon ideas, right? That's that's what's going oh, yeah. on there, right? Yeah. Well, it was like the Fifth Church of Christ, but it happened. They believed yeah. like they. He skipped through it. I mean, he could have really explained it a lot more. It would have been interesting. I don't know. See, what I like about it is he tells us about it. And he's like, then we've got this funny line. I might have just invited him because I was curious. <laughs> like, I wanted to see what was going to happen, which I thought was a really funny. I thought the book was very funny, actually. And then, but then later on, it comes back, which is what I like in world building. You get up a little bit here and a little bit there. And the guy's like, oh, wait, I have this figured out. The spaceship's for me. Uh, yeah. It's such it a weird. It was the Ark and it was saying here for me. It was, it's yes. for me. It was such a weird moment that I, I liked that. I don't know. I think one reason it was easier, you know, you prepped me to kind of not like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I start so, reading like the day after, so and I. Can't. But I wonder if that actually helped me like it, not because I was going against you, but because I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> also, in the in the audiobook, you know, it starts with this little intro, and the guy's like, "Yeah, he wasn't really interested in character building." I was like, oh, "Okay, if I know that going in, that's not what I'm looking for." Yeah, you know? we should really talk about that. I mean, in case this guy was known for not caring about developing characters, right? Yeah. But when we say and these like, characters are developed, for me, his human characters were an afterthought, and he was a very big concept guy, and I understand that, and I like that too, you know. And I think that, you know, I had said this before. I think one of the reasons why I didn't enjoy it as much is because I had read so much of the people who had stood on his shoulders to get so you know high up in science fiction that I've seen it like what what it was. I've seen what they improved upon and read that. And so I didn't know about this book at all until you told me, and then I read it, and it was supposed to be huge, and maybe I had the opposite effect of what Lee was talking about, where I thought it was going to be amazing, because mm-hmm. all these people were influenced by Clark, and it was just kind of like, where's the characters? What's going on? You know, it's funny. I grew up, you know, so I looked it up, because I was really curious. Stranger in a Strange Land, Heinlein's, comes out in um, 61, so more than a decade before Rendezvous with Rana. Right. Um, and I was a big Heinlein freak when I was, uh, you know, in my teens. You should be um, amazing. Yeah. And so I think 
a lot of his stuff didn't feel super new to me. Like, like, I mean, felt, didn't feel very groundbreaking to me. Right. Like, um, Planet of the Apes, the novel for Planet of the Apes starts with a solar ship. So you've got that technology established in the early 60s, right? And the whole ape interest. You've got the um, um, the trope of, you know, sexual freedom and polygamy all in Heinlein, Heinlein which is early 60s. So I think that was the most disappointing thing for me is I'd sort of heard this is this is the foundation of science fiction. I'm like, well, I didn't see anything that was foundational about it. I thought it was, I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of clever and interesting, but I didn't really see it as foundational, which I know someone's going to blow me up about. I know I'm going to just catch a lot of that. Huh? Heinlein or, Heinlein or, or Planet of the Apes? Well, but I was, I was comparing it to both of those, which come out in the early 60s. I enjoy Heinlein, but I think he has more character development. I've always loved character stories, you know. Yeah. So I think that that was where my my lacking is uh, in my understanding how great this novel is. Is like I just I want I wanted one guy you can root for because, and I want to ask you guys this question: if they had never, if the endeavor hadn't been out there, and they have never went on to Rama, would anything in that universe have changed? I mean. Well, that's the thing that was disappointing for me was the end. I mean, not the last line. I liked the last line, but like the end in general. The Ramas do everything in three. Yeah, that I like that line. But like, but the ending in general, where there ultimately is no real danger. There ultimately is nothing other than, oh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Look, here are these animal machines. Yep. That was disappointing. The ending was like, to me, the... The last arc, we get Jimmy. Jimmy gets the flower. I think the flower is going to do something terrible. The flower didn't you know, do anything. Didn't do anything. There's like, I, I'm i prepared. I'm a little nervous through the whole thing. And at the end, there's none. That was my disappointment. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess we, we haven't really even gone over um, the the plot of the book. And I, I, I'm really interested to hear your guys's version of this plot. <laughs> tell, tell me what this story was about. Yeah, Case, Case, this is your book, so why don't you start that off? Oh, just, um, it's pretty simple premise. Um, a spaceship comes into the galaxy. Um, it's going super fast, and we're able to board it with a nearby, with the Endeavor, with a nearby a ship and astronauts, and they go explore it. Basically saying yes, answering the question for everybody: Is there life outside of our galaxy? Um, I think that's the, I think that's the, the biggest takeaway from it is that they are saying absolutely there is because it's a generational ship that they figure out through through many different things as as the as the ship starts to heat up as it starts to get close to the sun that they figure out that it has to be generational and that it that it warms itself every time it gets to a new a new sun it comes alive again um and then it's probably been doing this for tens of thousands of years um but the bulk of the story relies on the astronauts just exploring this new world uh this large cylindrical world um and and you know that's about it they uh i mean that's basically the plot yeah. 
But, you know, I would ask also, and I want to hear Lee's version of the plot as well, but like we always ask our students when they're teaching, when you're writing, you have to always ask yourself, what's at stake? What was at stake in this story? Our aloneness in the universe. Because it starts with them not even thinking it's worth looking at, right? We've got this old fuddy-duddy, another really funny line in the book is something to the effect of, um, all these years of study and evolution, and we still haven't figured out how to get old conservatives off scientific panels. I got, uh, I got, I got it right here. Even by, oh, the 20, even by the 22nd century, no way had yet been discovered of keeping elderly and conservative scientists from occupying crucial administrative positions. <laughs> Indeed, it was doubted if the problem ever would be solved. It's, You're right, that was pretty good. It's a really funny line, um, especially if you work in academia, right? Uh, <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so that's what's at stake, right? They're like, that's not even worth looking at. The old guy's like, I, you know, would be a waste of money. And the only reason they go to look at it is to, sp is to spite him about something else he says. So he's like, he says something about the Big Bang Theory, and there's some other scientists there who are like fans of another theory. And um, so they vote against him, not because they're interested in Rama, not because they think it's a good use of money, not because they think it's anything interesting or worthwhile, but to spite him about this other theoretical argument they've been having for years. So I think ultimately what's at stake is, our, is, is a fundamental understanding of humans' curiosity or non-curiosity. Like everything in it is about wanting to go another step. So it's sort of like that... Um, I think that's it. I think it's a low stake, but it's a stake of humanity as opposed to any single person. All right. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it to you. Uh, what do you think, Casey? What's no, I say? think I think Lee. I think I can't expand on anything that Lee said. I I agree with her and and what's at stake and why and what's the purpose and yeah, I think she she summarized how I what I thought what the purpose of it was. There seems to be a lot of social commentary about the sciences in it and, and the kinds of people who fly ships versus the kinds of people who theorize versus the kinds of people who man things versus like, it's really, there may not be, see for me, I thought they were, I thought the characters were kind of interesting. There's, there are these different personalities that we see in exploration and in science, right? If you look at like historically, um, our first astronauts are like cowboys. And that's kind of what the they talk about. Oh, well, it's a good thing we're not just getting one of those cowboys. But then our, our captain, whose name I don't know, which Norton. goes back to, what's his name? Uh, Commander Norton. Yeah, Norton is a little kind of pirate cowboy wannabe, um, right? So we've got that. Then we've got the stodgy old guys at home. Then we've got like the kind of crisp, medical and scientific younger and they're women which is interesting who kind of know what's going on and then we've got jimmy who's just like a he's a guy who wants to have fun and he's athletic and so he's working he's not somehow really he's, he's stowed away uh, his flying motorcycle yeah 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 like a bike. His, bike yeah his flying bike <laughs> i don't think it's motorized uh, it's like a sail or something yeah, it's like it had like kind of like had wings or something. It like had that. wings, like a dragonfly. 
But mm-hmm. I have I have that quote. I want to read to see what what you guys think. Oh, I thought we should talk about this. Some women, Commander Norton had decided long ago, should not be allowed to aboard ship. Weightlessness did things to their breasts that were too darn damn distracting. It was bad enough when they were motionless, but when they started to move and sympathetic vibration set in, it was more than any warm-blooded male should be asked to take. Keep going. No, that's all I got. Well, then there's more to the quote. He was quite sure that at least one serious space accident had been caused by acute crude distraction after the transit of a well- Upholstered lady officer. No, through it's the- unholstered. <laughs> unholstered. It's a well unholstered lady officer. <laughs> I made I made that typo twice. Yeah, it's a well. It's a it's an unholstered <laughs> lady officer. So that's a okay, lot better so than upholstered. It is. It's a lot better than upholstered. It's a very different statement. Okay, so when you when you shared this, I was a little furious. And anybody who checks our message boards. On Facebook, we'll see that I like kind of went off. And then, but then when I read it in context, it didn't bother me at all because it's not the narrator. The narrator has a voice and he's kind of snarky and it's not him that's saying it. And right after it, he's got to, he deals with this woman who makes the decisions on who gets to go on the trip, right? And she's making good decisions. And so I think that is more of a, it's supposed to be a a funny quip by a roguish cowboy-ish, you know, pirate-ish kind of captain. I think, um, so it didn't bother me as much in context because I think it's kind of weighted. I just, you know, I mean, everything about Heinlein and and like, I don't know if you guys, I was going to pick one of these days, the moon is a harsh mistress. And that has a lot to do with like labor laws on the moon and stuff. And like, you're talking about how they put like social commentary inside this. This didn't seem to do that. I mean, it kind of reinforced the, the old uh, stiff upper lip kind of British gentleman type of thinking. I don't know. Uh, the old white guy stuff, but it works, I guess. For I mean, you guys loved it. It won so many awards. So I, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm not, not gonna say I loved I'm it. Die on any of the hills here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna say I loved it. I liked it way better than I thought. Now I'm gonna say this: I've never read 2001, but I think you know the movie was 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 real popular with my folks. So I've seen it a bunch of times, and I think it's dreadfully boring. So. So I've, I've never been interested it. in reading any um, Clark. So again, I think that it's easy for me to be charitable because I was expecting to hate every second of this. You know, I think in terms of social commentary, it's not dealing with big issues. It's not like Dune, which is one of the best social commentary sci-fi novels, I think, around. It's not like Heinlein, who's so interested in sex commentary that there's almost nothing else there you know it's it's its own but i think it's more like a um it's a microcosm kind of commentary like here's here we are way in the future and we're going to be just the same as we are now um we'll have all of these you know we'll we'll have sure we'll have chimps but ultimately they're just you know 
slave labor. We'll have new religions, but they're basically the same as the old ones. The people running things aren't going to change because medicine is, an old, is going to elongate their lives and they're just going to have the same conversations over and over again. I think that I don't think it's breaking any crazy ground with social commentary, but I do think it's basically holding up a mirror. Whether that's valuable or not is a whole different discussion. It might, it might be holding up a mirror, but it really takes a lot to try to look into it and see what, what he's, I don't know, maybe he's not trying to say anything. Maybe he's just holding the mirror up. But it was interesting. They had people on Mercury, people on the moon, Venus, and they're um, in different moons on the Jovian giants. And they are all different, uh, you know, politically different, which I thought that was pretty good. I mean, I see that in the Expanse series. That I was yeah. Doing. And that is, I love that. I mean. The well, Expanse feels like a better version of this. Yeah. Well, yeah, they had great characters. And, you know, and then again. And scarier. There was yeah, but there's life and death here. I mean, yeah. no one no one dies in this. You know, I think maybe we're conditioned because I was just watching um, Prometheus again, and oh. and like I, I'm thinking like when they like the kid picks the flower, like that's gonna get him somehow. <laughs> just nope, he just puts it in his pocket, and we don't talk about it again. You know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop or the first. Yeah, I, I feel like. I feel like that's a really good description of this book. You spend the whole time ramping yourself up, waiting for the other shoe to drop, and ultimately it doesn't. I don't know, Case. You got to defend it, man. I want. I want to hear what you have to say. Oh no, I mean, I, I, I like it again, just because, like, I like that very slow, methodical move through a new world. You know, where the light comes on. And we see this this new world that uh, that I think Clark did an amazing job of scientifically explaining it. Um, you know, I mean, his scientific theories about how may not hold up, but at least I like how thorough they are in their attempt, and I think that's brilliant. Um, and so I think that's what attracted to me it to me the first time around and the second time around was Clark. Maybe he doesn't develop characters, but he develops. He develops every step along the way as to how something like this could be plausible. And I think that scientific plausibility that he gives us, that's what intrigues me um, throughout the whole book, uh, that how does this ship work? You know, he asks the larger question, how does this ship work and who put it together and why? And I think it's an ex those are three large exploratory questions for humanity. You know, I mean, well, I what don't think he you know? answered any of those questions. I don't no, think he I don't answered th one of them. I don't think he answered them either. But I do think that he he explored through science, um, you know, the possibility of it, and he leads it to us to try to try to answer these questions of, well, I'm going to give you this plot. I'm I'm going to give you this outline, and um, I'm not going to tell you. The answer, um, and I think it's like what, what Lee says. It's maybe this, maybe that's the mirror he wanted us. That's the image he wanted us to see in the mirror. Is that we don't know either. I don't know. Um, that's that's what I love. I love the unfolding of the science. I think I like the methodical plausibility of his theories on the pages. I think it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's not something I could never do. And maybe that's where my admiration comes. I felt the same way after watching Prometheus. Like, there's a bunch of questions that no one answered, and I don't know what's going on. So you liked that movie? Because that movie infuriates me how much I hate it. The cinematography is amazing. Uh, 
and, and just watching the new worlds. I, I like watching it until it turns into a zombie movie, then I'll turn it off. Yeah. But I, we're talking about what Case, <laughs> but what Case was talking about as far as like explaining the science, I just read Andy Ware's new new book, right. uh, uh, Project Hail Mary, and it's he goes so deep into the science. Mm -hmm. I loved it too. Uh, but he also has, you know, like characters and he has like, oh man, if, okay, I, I didn't want, I don't want to give any spoilers, but the, the characters in that book, the two characters and the main characters of that book are just amazing. And one of them is in, takes a lot of creativity to, to figure out why or how they, they would talk and stuff. So I mean, it's really good. So I, I, I'm going to say that I actually liked the characters in this. Do I think that they're like transcendentally deep or interesting? No, but I liked hanging out with them. Like I like Jimmy. Yeah, um, he was cool. Yeah. I like I like the uh, doctor who is also just they hooked up on... at the end, right? I mean, that's what I got out of it. They hooked up what? again, even though yeah. Commander Norton has two wives. Mm -hmm. Again, space polygamy skips right over it. But Commander Norton has two wives, and then he still hooks up with. Uh, the medical doctor at the end in the last chapter, or did I read into that? I thought they, they did. Yeah, I think probably, but like there's, there's this moment with her when um, she's trucking along, right? Like she's walking faster than the rest of them. Um, and the narrator's like, as if to, to support her, what is it? Something like her, um, requirements of everyone else like she feels like she has to prove something because she's required so much of everyone else like i thought that was a i think that i think that it's doled out nicely in these little tiny phrases and tiny moments that i felt like i knew these people they felt real to me well and i mean i can even go back to the 2001 discussion see i love the movie and i love the book on that um, what was that? There was a movie recently that came out, and I can't think of it, um, where it's just almost silent the entire movie. It's a space movie. And, you know, those are the ones that, like, my wife won't watch with me because she says I like long, slow, boring movies. And I do. Um, I don't know why, especially space movies, where I feel like space is so quiet that, you know, the book, the book kind of embraced that almost silent throughout this kind of exploratory move through move through the universe. Um, and I think 2001 and 2010 both both um, both do that. But those are nonfiction, so that's different because those that year's already come and gone. I think ultimately, this is not a book that I will probably reread, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not mad at it. I'm really not. Um, and I think ultimately this book is a is a taste book like if you look at us it's like case is here and i'm here and sean is here and i think that's okay for a book right it's it's a book that either it fits your taste or it doesn't right and i think it's interesting that we all sort of read it in slightly different ways i think i think there's something to be said for that i also i just like, am I the only one who, like, laughed a bunch during this book? Yeah. Well. I, I am? <laughs> I didn't, maybe well, did, I just didn't know how to read it right. 
Did you read it or audible it? I did both. Yeah. I I, so I, I did audible. the audible. Yeah. That that narrator um, for me was really dull. You have to speed him up. <laughs> he sounded like a normal narrator at like one point three, one and a half. And then he was like, by that, like if you do it at that speed, mm-hmm. everybody's got their own accent and their own pitch and it he sounds much more normal. That's I don't really I don't know what's going on. I couldn't handle it at, at speed one. It know. was excruciating, so I had to speed it up. <laughs> so, but I made the mistake of looking into Arthur C. Clarke's life. And, yeah, you know, we should have learned our lesson from Hemingway. The guy moved to Sri Lanka to, uh, and, and a lot of people say it was because of the sex trade. And uh, but you know, he did go. He followed his love of scuba diving, and this guy found, like, discovered ancient ruins as a scuba diver. I mean, people called him the prophet of the of the of the Adam Age, I believe. Hmm. So I had it written down here. I mean, I mean, he there's no denying that he had some amazing the prophet of the space age. He had some amazing um, accomplishments, but I mean, you know, how much do we dig into his personal life? I think well, I think that's really reflective of this book, though, right? Because obviously, that's an interest in just seeing and knowing or trying to know what is unknowable and archaeology comes up in the book repeatedly he coins this phrase future history that we see today being used i don't know that he coined it i'm i'm lying i should look that up um but it seems like he might have coined it this idea of of an archaeological future I mean, maybe that's really the question. I think that 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 knowing that about his life is not even a little that the the diving stuff is not even a little surprising because I think that's what the book the whole book is. It's him just doing that. Yeah, in his writing. I, yeah, I would argue that uh, the commander and that crew were archaeologists because they get mm-hmm. there ready to talk to some alien species, and there's nobody there but the robot custodians. I mean, but that was. I was waiting for the payoff, and I didn't get the payoff, and that's why I just didn't like the book. Yeah. I wanted a couple of the crew members to die because what they're doing is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm of the school of, you know, the Vonnegut School of Writing, where you just torture your main character, and but you have to make people care about him in some way, root for him. And I didn't get that from this book. You didn't root for Jimmy? Jimmy, no. I mean, what do we know about Jimmy? He likes to, he stowed away his book and he was young and, and uh, I didn't know. So that's all I would know about him if I met him and I'd root for him. Yeah, but when you're writing like that, you guys ever, there's a great screenplay book called Save the Cat. And it's the premise is like the first thing you do with your main character is you make him, you know, if, even if he's a hard boiled detective, let him save a cat and then people root for him because they'll, you know, he has enough humanity to try to help something. Right, but Jimmy, that's what Jimmy does. Jimmy, Jimmy risks his career to bring this thing on the the, the flight because he wants to be in the Olympics. I, I think that's <laughs> okay. a saving right, the cat yeah. moment. That was pretty I think great. that's pretty freaking cool. I, I like Jimmy. He, I, did, I, he did take the time to, to pick a flower. He picked a flower, you know. He. Um, I wish that flower would have turned into a alien and ate his face. 
He was so excited about getting to use his dragonfly, and then it dies. It gets destroyed. You know what I'm gonna do, Lee? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, like they did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and they did Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna rewrite this book how I want it to go. <laughs> I'm sure everybody will be cool with it. <laughs> you have to say it again, Sean. You you blanked out, oh, or I blanked out. No, I'm sorry. So what I want to do with this book, you know, like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, is rewrite yeah, this yeah. book how I want it to go. And I'm gonna have that flower eat Jimmy's face. And, uh, but I mean, and, isn't that just the expanse? Yeah, it totally, it totally is. <laughs> like, like if I were gonna rewrite this book the way I wanted it to go, Rama I would just write the, the expanse. I'm gonna work in there when I make the when I write the screenplay for the movie, and the ramens show up and they're like, "Take me to your leader," and then Captain. Uh, the captain's gonna commander uh, is gonna turn around. It's like, no, you take me to the top ramen. <laughs> Man, that'll be on the trailer. That'll be on the trailer. You've been setting that up for hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wanted to say that. Just dying oh, to get that in there. Are you still gonna talk? Are you gonna talk about Rama more? No, no, no. Well, I don't want that. I want to know who's down for Rama too, though. Rama 2 is really good. Um, so, this time uh, is personal. Yeah, well, they get on. I'll tell you, Rama 2, they get on, and they don't think that it's going to go anywhere, and then it takes off on them. So there's a lot more at stake. And I think maybe Gentry Lee brings that the, brings that to the next book um, because there are two characters who start off as, um, you know, just, just astronauts, but they become – lovers and then they get married wait, wait, and there's there's one with the the distracted woman parts on there yeah yeah so it becomes like it becomes like a whole love story in space um so my thought was this like i think it's really interesting um there's a reason why and it goes back to like the, the star trek we started in the beginning and sean had mentioned this in the text thread um the difference between you know, a Heinlein or a Arthur C. Clarke or those who are write, writing Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, we're obviously like the, the Star Wars, Star Trek do not follow the same scientific, what uh, what word am I looking for? Rigor. What's that? Rigor. rigor. Yeah, rigor. And, or rules. Or rules. Um, and, you know, that doesn't bother anybody, right? It doesn't, the, the stories are so good. So, I mean- no. Case, I would, I would, I would argue that it is starting to bother people. I oh, mean, yeah. you see the expanse. I mean, time dilation is a real thing. You don't, you don't do warp speed and come back from like the mm -hmm. other side of the galaxy and still be the same age as everyone because relativity right. is a thing. But this that's is just the difference between hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi. I mean, that's a different discussion, right? Like some people like hard sci-fi, some people like soft sci-fi. I mean, there's all these categories of sci-fi that we could get into. Like, you know, a lot of people will say Star Wars is not sci-fi, mm -hmm. that it's space fantasy. Fantasy, yeah. No, I so, Sorry, Case, I'm going to cut you off, man. No, no, that's the question. I would, Actually, that's the question I was asking all of you is like, um, why might there be a whole audience for this um, or not? And why there's such a large or another large audience for the soft sci-fi um, and, and is it and is it strictly story based that 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 kind of separates the two? Someone who might really like hard sci-fi compared to those who like um, soft sci-fi, and is is it all based on story or 
or is there, can you think of a great book or a great movie that kind of combines them both so well together? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of hard sci-fi with great stories, and there's plenty of soft sci-fi with not very good stories. You know, if you look at, like... Babylon 5, Farscape, all those series were good. Yeah. Um, you look, well, you know, but Farscape's really interesting because Farscape is is sort of... There's actually some really good science in Farscape, even though it's like I love it. The, the 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 bioengineered ships that yeah. actually, like give birth to another ship. Yeah, can... it's really it's a great uh, to our audience. If you've never watched Farscape, it's it's like one of the best TV sci-fi series I think ever made. I'm going to go on that limb. I'm really comfortable saying that, and it's uh, it was done by the Jim Henson company um, did all yeah, of the sort of alien stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And then you've got things like the Martian. That's a really good example of very good, hard sci-fi with a great story. I mean, that's very hard sci-fi with a great story. Yeah. Well, it, and yeah, we were talking about the expanse. I can't, uh, I, I mean, I read all of the, the expanse is hard sci-fi. I haven't read the, the novelette, the, novellas between the books but the big books i've read they're really great the books are amazing i haven't read the what books other series is phenomenal what other books do you, uh, sci-fi you guys like um uh, so i like Alter funny carbon. sci-fi oh Alter Alter carbon was so good it was so fun i like the literary references in it yeah you know? It's great. Ed Grell. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Love, Death, and Robots. If you haven't watched Love, Death, They're and good. Robots. I haven't, I haven't. Oh, my God. It's yeah. fantastic. It's a it's an anthology series. Um, each, each episode is really short, and it's done in a different style with different authors, um, different animation styles, different tonal styles. They're all their own things. Wow. And they are so well done. Um, when I watched the first season, I just started the second season, but when I watched the first season, all I wanted to do was sell an anthology of sci-fi. Like it was, it's, it, it is so freeing to watch. There's all different kinds of stories. There's all different kinds of characters. It's amazing. So that's my other plug is, uh, love death and robots. Fantastic. Fucking fantastic. I'm working on, uh, I'm finishing up my, the novel that I'm in writing and it's this sci-fi and now i'm listening to you guys talk about hard and soft sci-fi i would say mine's medium <laughs> and I, but i think that that's where the audience is going i think the audience is evolving they want more than just why is that happening fucking magic okay yeah. <laughs> you know, they want to know that there's reasons for things for it happening it has a little to do with physics you know yeah so so case you asked what my favorite kind of sci-fi is and it's it's it, i like humor so I'm a Douglas Adams. Person. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, yeah, Hitchhikers. I, in in both fantasy and sci-fi, and maybe everything, humor is really a top of the list kind of thing. And um, and so that's another reason I think that that this appealed to me is because there is humor in it. Um, so much hard sci-fi is so very very serious. Oh, it's so serious all the time, you know. And it's just really aggravating to me. Uh, an example maybe that's of, why I love uh, Andy Weir's stuff. I mean, it's definitely hard sci-fi, but he has a lot of humor in it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's important. I also think tonal shifts are important. Um, you've got a lot of hard sci-fi where the tone is like, it's always up here, right? Like, it's it's all death. 
or fear, you know, blah, you know, really everything's at stake all the time, all the time, all the time. And I don't enjoy that. Yeah, I've been reading a couple of uh, series, sci-fi series from a veteran writer. You know, I'm a, so I'm a, I'm a veteran, you know, if, uh, if you're just tuning in and you don't know me, I mean, usually when I meet you, I tell you within five minutes, I'm a combat veteran. And, and I was reading these uh, Iraq combat veterans who are writing sci-fi and it's just like what you're saying, Lee. It's like it's just tuned up to eleven the whole time, and they never let the uh, reader yeah. have a moment to just like decompress. You know, right. that's what gallows humor is, you know, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And I think that's really important. I mean, that's if we go back to Farscape, it's one of the really beautifully done things about Farscape. Is, you know, that little um, guy, I forget the little guy's name, the puppet, uh, um, Baron of some whole galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch the whole series again. It was, it was good. Well, I think. Um, no, sorry. Good, good case. Sorry. Well, I was thinking that not only with sci-fi, I think a lot of new shows do that, where they don't let the the they don't let the the viewer breathe at all. Yeah. They don't get to exhale at all. I mean, um, like I remember watching like the show. Did you guys ever watch Weeds? Yeah. Um, it was always the exact same thing. I had to I had to turn it off. I watched I, I, I enjoyed it at first. Same. And then after a few episodes, I was like, I can't. Yeah. It was just like I get torturing your protagonist, but it was the same kind of torture and they, they kept making the same damn mistakes. And I hate shows that continue to do that. Because mm -hmm. the character doesn't grow. Uh, when it comes to sci fi, I I can only think of some you know, I I'm I like Dick, you know? I mean I I'm sorry, say that again. <laughs> I love Dick. And I don't know if you would you know, consider Philip K. Dick um, oh, sci-fi. I oh, love. Yeah, he's absolutely sci-fi. Yeah, he's like so he's like the father of cyberpunk. Well, and I think I've read every book of his. Um, Grandfather, I guess. And I, you know, I mean, he's got great characters. Well, I just um, read one of those books, the spray paint can that does everything. What was that called? That was Dick. I'll find out and let you know. Sorry. Oh, that's the other thing I like. Is I my other favorite thing is cyberpunk and steampunk mm. i love give me give me a robot arm and i'm a happy girl <laughs> give me a dystopic kind of overcrowded neon future and a robot arm and like that's my jam yeah all right i'm jumping in here because i remember 10 minutes left and so is this a high recommend are we are we reading book two uh what what's the final thoughts let's wrap up a rendezvous with well, sean lobbied for book two but we had to tell him no so that's gonna be that's gonna be we had we had to like keep him from from buying that and, and uh, i'll probably hey when we did twilight i got all the way into four movies and found <laughs> out that jacob fell in love with bella's unborn baby which is already you got a 106-year-old man fall in love with her 17-year-old. So, But I got lost in that universe. Would I recommend um, Rendezvous with Rama? Um, I, the only way that I would recommend this book is if I was teaching a science fiction class uh, over a, a semester. And, and we did that because it did win a lot of awards. And it, and it, did, it was the solid base for a lot of other writers to to come from, like a seed that, that grew. So maybe in that way. But what I recommend to a friend, me and Bigfoot, we say no. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, it depends on the friend. You know, um, 
there's just so many different kinds of sci-fi lovers out there. If I had a friend who I knew would be into this sort of style, uh, sure. If I knew a friend with the same taste as me, no, probably not. Even though I enjoyed it way more than I thought, it's not a thing that I would return to or would have read on my own, you know. And I'm glad that you said that, Lee, in case you kind of went on it, too. And I know that we have to close up. But when we're doing this podcast, you know, I definitely want to talk about the book. But I'd really love to talk about the writing style. And if we had any of the writers like listening to our podcast, kind of talk about that. Because this was another third-person omniscient. And it kind of bounced around everywhere. And uh, like we said, didn't, like, really hit what's at stake as far for my didn't check my box, but for you guys. And like, just we should talk about you know the writing style a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I think that Sean, that plays to our conversation too, in the sense that we've had some really lively conversations about Jaws and Twilight and Hemingway, and I think this book. I mean, we looked at it kind of in a canon of looking at the canon of sci-fi, and it was interesting. But I wonder too that there was really nothing in here that sparked controversy within our group um and i really don't know where i'm going with that but i think that that says something about um this book and maybe it was like what's that maybe it was a little too safe yeah maybe it was a little too safe and that might be what i don't like about it honestly Mm -hmm. i think you know i think the sentences are lovely i think they're fine sentences i i think the writing's tight is that, any, is that the compliment you want when someone reads your book? It's like, oh, sentences were all right. <laughs> I mean, it is a compliment. I I want. compliment. <laughs> yes. I work very hard on my sentences. Yeah. Um, if, the, if somebody says, you know, I was reading your book and I didn't really like it, I'd be like, you read my book? I mean, I, I thought that I honestly, I didn't think there was much to discuss about the writing because either you accept the fact that this is a non plot driven book, in which case the writing's great, or you find that a, a fatal flaw, in which case that's the thing that that's problematic with the writing. But the sentences are, are good. The humor is good. It's well paced in terms of the humor. I don't mean the pacing of the book. Um, the paragraphs are good. The descriptions are lovely, beautiful. I think the descriptions are really beautiful. Um, we even have tension built. It just never goes anywhere. Um, <laughs> Maybe. And there's tension builds in moments of it, right? It just doesn't go anywhere. Um, so either you accept... If you're digging a bunch of old people sitting around a room. Well, you? I mean, we've got the water that comes up. Um, oh yeah, when they we've got the- we've got the 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 machine that's approaching Jimmy as he's falling, and there's a there's a bunch of times when I thought they were goose that I my heart raced for them, it just didn't go anywhere. Everything was just fine. So I think it's you know if you if you are okay, got a boo boo, yeah, if you're okay with a with a book that doesn't have boo boos, a standard plot or boo boos, then yeah, the writing's great. If you're not okay with a book that doesn't have those things, then the writing's terrible. And ultimately, I think, again, that's a taste thing. Yeah. That's a good quote for the whole podcast. (laughs) Hey, if you like plots and boobies, not the book for you. Not the book for you. Yeah. (laughs) Did you guys pick the next one? We did. 
Our next book is a short one. It is a, um, it's called Remote Control. Um, it came out in 2021. Um, so it's a new book. And it's by uh, Nedi Okorarafor. Uh, and I've missed, if I've mispronounced her name, I apologize. I practiced, but um, I may have mispronounced it. And uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said, I'm digging. I'm digging this. This is great. Yeah. And it's, um, I just lost my train of thought. It's a, it's an African futurism book. So if you've heard of Afrofuturism, um, this is African futurism because it is centered in, uh, I want to say Nigeria. And uh, I've started it. I'll just put it out there. I started it and it's beautiful. So it's science fiction again? It's, I think it, yeah. I, so I'm still at the beginning of it. Uh, and I can't quite tell if it's science fiction or fantasy. But from what I've read about it, I think it's science fiction. But of course, uh, you know, when we look at African futurism, we're really dealing with a different set of tropes and stuff. So it's oh, yeah. going to feel, it's going to feel new. And uh, I think it's going to, I think, I hope, I hope we like it. I think we're going to like it. Outstanding. Very good. That is one hour in the books. Nice work. So you see what I did there in the books. Uh, we have check in with us in two weeks. We're gonna do so. We're gonna read. We're gonna read about uh, this new, the new book here for a couple of weeks, and we'll check in halfway through and see what everybody thinks about that. Sort of a tease, uh, and then the next one is the first. It's always the first Tuesday, or at least we try of each month. And then I want to give a shout out to or a plug to. We have a podcast coming up, a live van sessions this. Friday, we have a, a wonderful local band, and it's made of three different artists who are really well known here in Ogden. And then each of those artists will do uh, a single set of a couple songs each after the their little band plays. So that's live here at the Monarch Building in Ogden, but then also we'll put it live on our outlets here, the Banding Collective, uh, YouTube, Facebook pages, things like that. So tune in, if you will. Yeah. And Kenny Wilkinson will be reading that night between bands. Very good. Um, between the artists is who, what's the name again? Sunny Wilkinson. Sunny. Oh, good. Sunny. I met Sunny. Okay, I yeah, great poet. She read a me in AWP when we yeah. for the uh, Black Lords Press reading. Um, yeah. So it should be. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Sunny's great. So, all right. Final thoughts. Any last words? What do you want to plug? Anything? No. Oh, so, hey, for our two-week uh, discussion, I'm bringing uh, Al Artero on to taste some bourbon with me. I'm going to give him the name of the. Mm. Uh, of the book and he's gonna come up with the bourbon and we're gonna he's, he's he knows his he knows his shit about uh bourbon and whiskey so it should be a little bit of fun time plus he's a crazy uh, combat vet too yeah that we need more crazy combat vets the world does wait world no, does. we're getting a lot more <laughs> uh, uh all right thanks everyone for tuning in this is bourbon beer and books i believe that's a wrap cheers